This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic, craziness, no time, no fun. Just work, work, work. 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 It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to Efficiency on Demand, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I have a wonderful guest, and I can't wait to talk to her. Um, we've been connected to through a mutual friend on Facebook, I think, and I'm already blown away by her story. I can't wait to dive in. And we connected a little bit through messages and already exchanged some of our backgrounds and what we do and how we work. And so I can't wait to hear more what she does. So please help me welcome Sheng Hare. How are you doing, Sheng? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I truly, truly like it's an honor. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Like um, your story is already, from what I know, is so amazing. So we definitely have to stick through that. <laughs> so, but before okay, we get yeah. started, <laughs> tell everyone um, who you are, what you're doing, where you're from, all the little details that everyone should know. So my name is Shang, and then I am a business um, diversity and inclusivity strategist. I help minority girl bosses build, you know, the businesses online, build the life that they love. And at, at the same time, respect their culture. So I know minority girls, bosses, they struggle with that, you know, that wanting to do what they want to do and respecting their culture. And then with that, I also bring the angle of their diversity inclusivity in to the businesses of how to create that space. And for them as leaders, how to lead, how to lead and be inclusive, because I think it takes being self-awareness to get to that level of creating that space, not just the diversity, but the inclusive of like welcoming different, you know, ethnic group and creating that space. So that's what I do in the nutshell. But where I am now, I am Detroit, Michigan. I kind of I felt I, I used to live in the East Coast and then I moved to Portland, Oregon for two years and then I moved to Detroit. So it's been like when people say where am I from, I don't know where I'm from anymore. <laughs> I love that. Global citizen. That's what we say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit more how you got to work in the space of minorities. So for me, I think it started with I think for me, it just started with like, I keep having this hunger, you know, and I was ignoring it for a little bit. Like, it was like a calling for me, you know, I grew up in a community, um, very diverse, like Haitian, Cambodians, like Cambodians, Chinese, Jamaican, like I grew up in a very diverse culture. So I thought that was the norm. I went to a high school of 4,000 students, graduated the class of 900, you know, 900, uh, 900 kids. So I thought that was a norm. 
And I didn't know that. And until I actually moved to Portland, Oregon, was when I was like, God, there's a lot of just white people here. Like, I feel really out of place. And I was craving for that diversity again. And I think it was like a calling for a very long time. And then I just kind of ignored it. And then I really stepped up and I was like, okay, you know what? It's my calling. Like, I need to help these minority girl bosses to really own this, like, own this story and use their voice because no one's helping them to lead. And what I notice is that when I go to businesses event, like I don't see anyone that looks like me or looks like them. And I was like, I need to, I need to lead this. And I know that I can't lead it by myself, but actually help lead and create not just for, for the minority girl bosses around me, but the girls that are coming behind us to know that they can look up to someone on the, on the stage and saying like, wow, that girl looks like me. She's been through my journey and she's, she's got, like she's gotten there too I can do the same thing and that's just what I just want every little girl to be able to look up and see themselves and see a reflection on themselves because I didn't have that and many minority girls that I that are are like my colleagues they don't see that and I just know it's a calling and I know I'm being called to do it but like I said I'm not I don't I'm not doing this alone I'm it takes an army to really create this movement yeah Absolutely. So because our listeners cannot see how you look like and you said like, you know, you're you're a person in a business event and you don't see people how you look like, maybe you tell everyone a little bit about where you were born and what's your ethnicity. So I was born in Thailand and then I came to America when I was three years old. So they say like I'm this American kid, but I wasn't like I my parents didn't really immerse me in the American culture. So it's like I was balancing these two culture, right? Being among, like that's the culture I grew up in, Hmong culture. And I was balancing this American culture. So my, defining like my identity is a little bit weird because like in the Hmong culture, I was considered like very loud and <laughs> I was considered very loud. I'm not, you know, like, you know, like your typical Hmong girl who listens, who obeys, who does like all this stuff. And I felt like an outcast. So for me, I felt like an outcast. So I really hung out with the, the Black and the Puerto Rican community mm. and like the Jamaican, Caribbean community, community. So it's like this mom girl who found her identity, not through her culture, but like through like a different types of culture to like really find my identity. But I'm just a, I'm a, just a mom girl, you know, who grew up in America on her journey to find her identity and really just empower other minority girls just to do the same thing because I think no one shines a light on us and I think it's just time for us to shine a light on us like we can do this yeah I love that so we talked a little bit about it but maybe for our listeners out there can you explain a little bit about what is the Hmong community are there different versions or types of monks where do they actually come from originally what's their heritage in are they actually quite widespread in Thailand or is that also rather rare to find? So the Hmong community, they are originally originated from China. Mm-hmm. So, and if you read in Chinese history, they're considered like the Mio's. And then what happened was like the Chinese invaded, we didn't fight, we wanted peace. And then we just kind of split up. And we, I think like we just become like nomads mm-hmm. in a way. Because like we split, so that you'll find us in Thailand, you'll find us in Laos, 
you find us in China and you'll find us in Vietnam. So we're kind of like all split across and we kind of just incorporate those culture into our own culture. Mm-hmm. But we know your mom by the pattern of like your clothes or the way you sew and stuff like that. So there's many different types of long. And then a lot of us, some of us migrated to America. You know, I think we were like the secret army who helped the Americans really be, like, you know, help them during the Vietnam War. That's how we kind of came to America because that's what Americans promised us. Like, if we help them win the Vietnam War, you know, then we can come to America. So that's like, that's kind of like the story of the Hmong people in a nutshell. And then the culture itself, you know, I think for me, like, growing up as a Hmong girl, it's like, the girl, I don't know, can we swear on this podcast? Please, go ahead. (laughs) So, So the only thing is just like, for me growing up, like, what I saw was like, girls were like trained to be like future wives and future daughter-in-laws and girls didn't have a voice and the boys was like encouraged to just sit on the ass and marry like a girl that's going to do everything for them and you know and then the four girls we were raised to fulfill a man's happiness you know give their life full abundant babies or whatever they wanted and desire and me growing up, I saw a lot of girls got married like 13, 14. And like, it was like their life just ended. It was like their life just ended. And then I was just like, dude, is this going to be me? Like, is that how my life is going to be like? Is that like, this is where it is? Like, like, wh- like, what's the point of living if like, this is all I'm doing? Like, is this even real? And in the mom culture, once you're 18, you're considered like an old lady. Like nobody wants you, you wow. know? Yeah, like nobody wants you. You're like an old egg. They're like, oh, you're too old, you know? So I, so a big part of me was like, I always wondered like, is this going to be me? And and I think like kind of like backtrack a little bit. It happened to me when I was like six years old and I asked my mom for like a new pair of shoes. And she told me she couldn't afford it for me. She's like, I can't buy you a new pair of shoes because, like, she has seven kids, you know, and she's both our parents again paid minimum wage. And my mom was like, I can't buy you a new pair of shoes and you have to take care of the one you have because you have to wear that one for the following school year. And I remember, like, taking that pair of shoes and going to the back of the porch and scrubbing my shoes. And I remember at six years old, I was like, I'm never going to fucking do this in my entire life ever again. Like, I'm going to have to go after what I want, because if I don't do that, who's going to give it to me? Because apparently my own mother can't give me what I want. And I'm not mad at my mom, just like she, you know, she just couldn't give it to me. But that was like, I call it a kickoff pivotal moment, even though I never knew that that was like the kickoff for me. So along the way, like, I would encounter things in my culture that I didn't approve of, but I was like, no, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And then I just kept going, kept going. And then eventually it was just like, I don't need to conform to what my culture wants me to do. And it's funny because I tell my, I tell my mom all the time, like, well, you know, mom, I'm going to give myself till I'm 30 years old to find like among men for you a mom son in law for you. But if I can't find one when I'm thirty, I'm considered an old lady anyway, so nobody wants me. So I, you know, hope is gone. But I think it's just fighting the battles as fighting like what what was expected of me. Because everything that I was doing was not 
what what my culture was expecting me, you know? And like my mom taught me how to cook and how to clean. Don't put the tish, dishes too loud. You know, you you get you have to you, you have to talk to your in-laws this way. You have to, you know, wake up and do this way or you're going to get sent back, you know, because in our culture you can get sent back. And then my parents would have to pay the dowry back to my husband. So like you know, and it, I just like kept pushing, kept pushing the boundaries. And for me, it's like I fought for my dream. You know, I just kept fighting. I was like, no, I don't need to do this. Like, I can still respect my culture. Like, I can still fight for my dream and just pushing through. I mean, like, fast forward, like 30 years later, like I'm married. I have a husband who's long, but who's very supportive. Like, and he's also my business partner, but he's very supportive. It's funny, all the things that I'm so nervous about in my culture, he's like, who cares? Like, does it really matter? You know, and I was like, I don't know, but it matters to me because, you know, I don't want people to talk about us. It's like, but we made the decision together, so it doesn't really matter. So, like, I'm blessed with, like, a really, really, you know, great business partner and husband. And then I thought I was going to have girls, but I ended up having two boys. I was like, I'm going to have girls and I'm going to empower them to be all this and then I have boys. But in a nutshell, <laughs> like, the culture can be really hard, you know, just to mm. break it, just to break through and not be judged and not be criticized. It can be really hard. It can really take a toll on you. And for me, I think I had the balance of outside my culture to really support me. I think if I didn't have my friends that were like, not mong to really support me i don't think i would have made it this far right that's why i love the inclusivity part because it wasn't my culture who gave me my identity it was like someone another culture gave me my identity and i never realized that i had this you know but i was really lucky because i had someone that wasn't mong who was like dude don't give a fuck just do what you want like make yourself happy you know and then i had that push but I know for a fact, if I didn't have those type of friends in that community, I don't think I would be able to break through a lot yeah. of the, like, a lot of the beliefs and thoughts I had. Right. Wow. That's a really incredible, incredible story. I'm just thinking about the fact, uh, and I'm, I'm going into a topic now that's a little bit, yeah, it can, it can be, it can be a little bit, uh, off the crown for some people to hear that but I think it's really sad that when you said you moved to Portland and there are primarily white people that you felt so off and I'm saying that as a white person because I feel like as you said inclusivity is something that we should all practice and it it like to have to say that we should practice is even now in 2020 for me it's just the I'm just shaking my head because I can't believe that this is still a topic for us. But here we are. It is one. It's bigger than ever. And I wonder how you felt like having this supportive community and having had friends from different cultures, super inclusive, and they all pushed you forward. And then you moved to Portland and you realized, wow, okay, first of all, there's no one here that looks like me. But now the people that are here, they're not inclusive either. And literally, I'm running against walls at home. And I'm running against walls in, you know, my career in school, whatever it is. How did you handle that? I think 
for me, I think, like I said, you know, I think I just went and looked for those community who supported me. Like when I moved to Portland, Oregon, like I knew, like, I knew there was a big population of white people, but I didn't realize how much of black of minorities they were until I got there. So for me, I went and I sought out, you know, groups that I like for me, I really take it. Like I said, like no one's going to give it to me. Like no one's going to be like, hey, here's a group of people you can hang out with. I had to go speak with certain people that like like embody that and value that. So for me, I've always been like a seeker of like where where can I go can I find my belonging because no one's going to give it to me like even living in Detroit it's majority like it's a big population of black community and the community is totally different from the community east coast they all like live in their own pockets like the black community hangs out the black community the Indian community hangs out the community community but for me I just go and find them and who is willing to be my friend? Who's willing to embody me and learn about my culture? And then it's like, yeah, we can hang out. So it's like here, I just go to the Black community and hang out with the Black people. Because I'm like, the only way we can break those barriers is if we insert ourselves into that community and say like, hey, I'm here for you. But if we sit on the sideline and wait for someone's invitation, that invitation may never come. Yeah. So the only way that we can break those barriers for me it's like I just take action and I invite myself to those community and yes they may feel apprehensive at first but you have to approach in a different way and I think because I come from the Hmong culture I kind of I'm a little bit more sensitive because in the Hmong culture you have to go to a leader before you can even enter into their community so for me I talk to I'm very sensitive to culture I'm like oh why do you feel that way how do I get talking to you guys like how do I how do I like build that bridge? And I'm really open about it, you know, and I, you share your vulnerabilities. So for me, it's always seeking those pockets of like, where can, where am I allowed to fit in and where can I come in? And then I'm going to just show me because I know who I am and I know we'll connect. I love that. So for anyone who uh, may totally resonate with you being uh, from an ethnic minority background living maybe in a super wide area or maybe in an maybe in a city that they're not sure where to find these people so how do you go about seeking them out and what would be the first steps to approach them google <laughs> yeah google facebook and let me tell you i came to detroit and I couldn't find a Muslim girl. I went to Macy's, okay? And there's two Muslim girls that were helping me. And I said, hey, I'm trying, this is what I'm creating. And how do I find more girls like you? Where are you guys hanging out? And where can I go? And they were happy to tell me. They're like, hey, there's this club at this state. This is what's called. A lot, a lot of us hang in that club. Email the professors so you can get in. You just have to ask. But Google and Facebook, like, gives you so much tool, you guys. Like, like when people say, I don't know, I'm just like, no, you're not looking hard enough. Because Google, Facebook, and guess what? Just ask the people. Right. Like, I just asked, like, I just asked, like, the Black community, like, where do you guys hang out? What do you guys do? How come you guys don't participate in these things? And they're just telling you. I've set on, I, I've set coffee chats with these girls, with these, a lot of the Black community. I have girls at Macy's. Like, where are you guys hanging out? Where can I find more of you guys? And just share my story. And 
you know, that's all you have to do. I love that. That's awesome. I do the same thing usually when I move around. Now I'm here in the place that I know very well, so I know where to go. But this is usually when I was traveling five and a half years full time. That would be the same thing that I would do. Facebook was usually the go-to place. They're always like either Facebook groups or you can find someone there and then you go from there. You just message them or just comment or whatever in one of their posts. Yeah, you just you just have to like, I don't know. I just feel like when people say, I don't know where to find these people or I don't know, I'm just like, but you're telling stuff you don't know, so you're not going to take action. But if you just Google it, like we have like access to resources, like, like it's at the tip of our finger. It's not like we have to go to an encyclopedia and now we have to find the research by who the author is. Now we have to look in the yellow phone, like phone book and call, like it just like people it doesn't work like that anymore. Just Google it and you will get the information. And it's up to you to be take that initiative and be willing to be uncomfortable. I think I think a lot of people are not willing to be uncomfortable mm. and be vulnerable to connect. And I think that's what you have. I think so like my first step to be an inclusive leader or anything, it's like, it's called itself. Like, are you aware of like your bias? Like, are you aware of why you're uncomfortable? Are you aware to you never like, like created the space or are you aware of who you are? Because if you're not aware of who you are and how you feel when you hang out with a certain group, like, then how do you move forward? When you address like who you are and why you feel a certain way, then you become a better leader. Yeah, absolutely. So I really wonder how relationships have been for you before you got to get to know your husband. Have you had a lot of cultural experiences with in relationships so no <laughs> interesting so it's funny because I know I'm really like in my heart like straight up like in my heart I wanted to marry someone that was long that was just okay. like in my heart and that's why I said I gave myself that deadline too you know I was like you know if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen you know but for me am I attracted to other people I was attracted to other men not that you know, not mong. Was I attracted to them? Of course I am. But I knew that in a way, that's like I said, like a big part of me, I knew I wanted to make my parents happy, but I didn't want them to be happy at the expense of my happiness. Yeah. You know, like I wanted this to be like a win-win situation. So it's funny how I dated, <laughs> it's funny how I dated guys because anybody that was mong, I was very like, So do you have, like, I had a criteria already. I was like, I don't have time to force. I was like, so do you go to school? And if someone said like, oh, I'm taking a break from school. I was like, ah, we're just going to be friends. Like, I can't do this. We're just going to be friends. So I was really like, really sick. And oh, someone said like, oh, I just work on like a a part-time job. And I'm like, why do you work a part-time job? Oh, because I stay home with my my parents. And I'm like, "Mm, that did not mean my qualification. I'm moving on to the next one. So I was very strategic because I was like, one of, first of all, I want this to be a win-win. And second of all, I know I bring a lot to the table. I mean, people can say, look at that, like being selfish. But for me, I just know my self-worth and what I brought, what I brought to the table. So I just, when, when I saw certain red flags, I know it sounds so mean, but it was like, 
no, I can't do this because I don't want to fall in love with you. And then it's hard for me to untangle my heart. So I'd rather not go down that route. Let's just be friends because these are the criteria you need to meet. So if you don't meet these criteria, I'm moving on. I love that. I'm celebrating that so much. I have the same, though. The list is really long. Gets longer and longer. (laughs) With the years. (laughs) It's funny because it's like, how I end up like marrying my husband was that he's I, I think I'm I'm very attracted to a, a man that's very smart and very intelligent mm. like I just like they could be geeked out and I could be like wow like you're amazing like you just like you're amazing and I think with my husband it wasn't because he was wrong it was because like we could talk about politics we could talk about like just anything and he was able to like we could talk about women fashion and he was like yeah you know and we would talk about Beyonce he's like yeah he would tell me all stuff about Beyonce and I was like dude I could vibe with you and like he, he gets it in all different levels but I think most of all was that he didn't put the pressure on me like being this I had to be this mom I had to be this mom girl mm. like I didn't get that pressure well first of all I asked about his parents before <laughs> before I committed. So I'm not going to lie. Like, I open book. I was like, so, like, do your parents do this on the weekend? He's like, no. I'm like, do your parents, like, expect you guys to do this? He's like, no. I'm like, this could work. Because if your parents are not expecting you to do all this, it means if we have a long-term relationship, I'll be okay to be daughter-in-law. I love that. It's so, it's so amazing to me because um, – so I'm from Germany, right? And and there's somewhat still this kind of expectation to have this really German life of house, dog slash cat, two kids or 1.8, depending <laughs> on the on the certain rate by this time. And I'm 33 years old now, and I knew already. I I think I knew it forever, but I'm just not gonna have kids. And I made this decision, the final decision I made by 25. And there's a few different reasons why, but the primarily reason was uh, my health that I just didn't want to put on the line. And now I can, as you would say, selfishly say, but I think it has also to do with like self-worth and how we want to create our lives. I just don't, I can just not imagine a own child fitting into my lifestyle and I'm really honest about that as well open book you know so I just and I don't think that women have to have kids just to fulfill a purpose I think we are as you said we are enough just the way we are and so but to to have to say that to my parents was also a thing you know there my mom was like between I think between a heart attack and uh, and the depression bout and uh, looking at me as if I was making like a really sarcastic, really dark, humorous joke and she didn't get it. And then I said like, well, no, this is my decision. I'm just not going to have kids. And she's like trying to find her words. And I think it took her like five <laughs> minutes until she said, you're mid-twenties now. This will change. And in my head, I was like, don't discuss this now. Don't discuss this. And I'm just, I was just nodding. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's like, but you want to marry, right? And I'm like, 
sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have to, you know what I mean? Now they know, now they know. I don't have to marry. I can, I don't have to. It's not on my plan. I do want a life partner. I don't have to marry them. I don't need a piece of paper to for my commitment, you know what I mean? But it's it's just very different from how my parents grew up. And so when they heard that and their faces, I was like, ooh, it, it seems like I just told them I'm going to shoot them in the face, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I can... I can relate somewhat on this like cultural experiences and when you step out of it, because my sister is very opposite. She's very German. She takes all of the boxes, <laughs> really all of them, with cats and dogs and fish <laughs> in the aquarium. And so it's it was very hard for my parents to to see what decisions I made for my life and how they how they pan out, especially being so far away always yeah it's funny like I totally get what you're saying too my oldest sister I'm one of seven so my oldest sister she sews cleans she sings she gets up early she does she checks up all the boxes and it's funny my mom will always be like why can't you be like her I was like mom well if you want me to be like her why didn't you just name me her but you name me Shang so I think I'm a different person you know but I think for me, I really had to fight my identity with my mom. And I had to leave my house at the age of 17. Mm. Like, because I, it, it wasn't because my, my, my parents were mean or anything. I just knew to find my identity, to find who I was. I knew I needed to leave the house because my mom didn't see me for me. She wanted me to be someone else. And when I left, when I left to college, I actually didn't talk to her for an entire year. Wow. Like I didn't talk and not that not that she was a bad mom and my mom's like the greatest soul in the world. But it was just like that was like it was like my my foot on the ground and saying like, No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come home. I didn't see her for an entire year. And I said, No, I'm not gonna come home and I'm not gonna be treated this way if you're gonna keep wanting me to be this person because I'm not this person. And like I mean, I mean, today my mom says like I'm the most rebellious child that she's ever had, you know. But I'm like I'm not really bad. It's just I I didn't follow what was laid out for me. Yeah, I totally understand. It's really it's really interesting to hear because I left when I was 17 as well, um, for very similar reasons because I just couldn't I couldn't bear anymore to have to follow things that I just didn't believe in. And that I just didn't think were right for me. So I also left and just, I did go to college. I did actually two university degrees, but I worked and had two businesses at the same time, like freelance businesses by the time. Mm -hmm. already. So for me, it was more, I was more focused on working already other than the university really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you just, I think we, you and I, we're, like, almost the same line. Like, it was just, like, let me just do my thing and leave me alone. I'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's so funny. We have a saying in German, and it goes along the lines, as long as you have your foot, uh, your feet under our table, um, we have to say about what you're doing, basically, right? And so it kind of just means that as long as 
like your parents pay for everything and they take care of you and you're still sitting on their table basically then um you don't have anything to say and you don't have to have an opinion and so that was always a big thing and the funny part is so my well it's not funny but my dad lost his job when i was like 13 and i immediately went out and got a job um besides school and so what i did then was like well now i'm the one making the money and i took literally like literally my feed from under the table away and pulled them up and i said like there are no feet on the table anymore i guess i'm my own boss now oh my god <laughs> my my parents blew up in my face that was not funny <laughs> but yeah the definitely the rebel got out pretty early yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's funny because like I raised my boys totally different. And it's funny how you say you get a job at thirteen. Like I got my first job at fourteen. I remember I came home every freaking day and I opened the like the phone book and I called every single McDonald's, every single Wendy's, every single Burger King. I was calling them like, "Are you hiring?" Like, and tell my friend was like, "Oh, my I work at McDonald's. They're hiring." I was like, "I'm applying." So I applied, and my mom was like, you're not going to get a job. Who's going to hire you? And who's going to take me? Mm -hmm. I was like, don't you worry. And then I got the job. And I was like, well, I got a job. Now you have to take me to work. And then she just had to take me to work. And like my mom said a lot of no's to me. But I I remember like she, like I had money at 14. And she didn't want to get my license. Because she was like, oh, if I give you your license, then you're just going to run all over the place and not listen to me. So I forged her name. It was like a snowy. I forged her name, and the the DMV, like the the place to get your permit, is like right behind my high school. So I tracked through the like I tracked through like I think two feet of snow, went took the um, permit and went back to the school and told my mom to come pick me up. And I was like, oh, I'm done with after school program. You can pick me up. And then, <laughs> and then that's the, like, I mean, I just think that you just gotta push. Like, I think if you don't hurt your parents, like, where they're going to have a heart attack, yeah. just do it anyway, and they'll live and they'll survive. Yeah. My parents are pretty happy. No heart attack so far. It was me having one, but <laughs> I survived too. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, you just mentioned how you're raising your boys and how you're making sure, like, you're you're preserving your culture whilst being the rebellious, beautiful woman that you are? So I think for me, the way I'm raising my boys is completely different is that in our culture, we don't say I love you. We don't oh. like show any emotion. We don't. We don't. The way our parents show our love to us is just through like putting food on the table and food with our head. And they will never say to you like, I'm proud of you or I love you. You know, it's just not part of our culture. So I grew up with like my my feelings were never heard, you know. And when I say I swear, when I have kids, like they're gonna like they like I'm just gonna open this channel. So for me, I'm I, I teach like it's funny because I teach my kids meditation. <laughs> I have a six and two year old, and they meditate. I teach them the seven highly effective habits. So love it. I, I hope. So the way I preserve my culture with them is that my husband and I, we decided to homeschool them because we nice. knew, we, so we knew that if we sent them off to school, we knew there was going to be a big influence. 
So we really talked to them, not like adults, but we really talked to them about their culture and the importance of them. So we don't say to them, like, we tell them that they're Hmong American because we don't deny them where they're born, but we make them realize who they are. And like, yes, they have privileges, but at the same time, there are some, like, there's a barrier, there are barriers and there's going to be things that are stacked against them. So we make them well aware of who they are and everything. So I think just teaching them their identity, open that channel of communication with them. Like you can tell us anything and really empowering them like of who they are and like their self-worth. So for me, I, w- I didn't have that grown up in the Hmong culture because I was taught that like you don't have a voice. You just listen to me. And then when you're, when you're, when we're done raising you, you're going to be passed on to a man and you just do what he tells you to do. Hmm. So from like, we just raise our boys, like know your identity, know your self-worth and know, know where you came from. And that's, I mean, after that, like, I can't do anything else. Like they're on their own. Like they have to figure out the world by themselves. You know, like, I mean, that's what I can really do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's really beautiful. I can imagine that there are going to be, little superheroes very soon i mean like we we my my son is six years old and we tell him we said like you think you you think you're very small and fragile but you have the power to change the world and you do it by one person at a time so we tell him that you have your brother to change like to help and then and then we're like you have your cousins you know you change one person at a time and when you become the good person you are then you put that outside into the world so we teach him all the time so whenever he's like mad or like when my kids are really mad or frustrated, we always teach them like, well, you choose to be mad, right? Remember the power of choices. So we teach them the power of choices. Like you choose this and this is the result you got. So like, you can't be mad at mommy or daddy. And they, they take, and I think like, I like a lot of people ask, like, how do you raise kids to be like in the future generations? Like teach them, teach them accountability. Yes. If you teach them accountability, the future will be fine. But if you never teach them accountability and you keep doing it for them or covering up for them, how would they know? So teach your kids accountability and make them accountable for it. Then guess what? We'll be fine. Yeah. 100%. Amen. I have no idea about raising kids, but I know about accountability and how, how important it is. 100%. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit yesterday about what you're doing uh, with your mom together, the little project that you're working on to, you know, rework your own uh, history a little bit. Can you tell me more about that? So with my mom, I never really knew like her history. Like I just mentioned, like we don't really talk at at a very, very deep level. So I had a calling, like, I, I swear to God, I feel like I have these callings, you know? <laughs> so when I was 18, I, I like this strong call was like, okay, you need to tell your mom's story. But I didn't have that relationship with my mommy. When I was 18, like, I was just like, dude, this, how am I going to understand this woman? I don't know what she wants from me, you know? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was trying to navigate the world myself. Then at 21, it was like, and then at 23, and then when I was 30 years old, I literally was like, okay, I asked my question this all the time. I said, Shang, if you die tomorrow, will you regret not asking her about her story? So everything in my life, like I always ask myself, like, if you die tomorrow, will you regret not doing this? And I was like, yeah, I will really regret like 
not preserving her story because then how am I going to tell my kids like like we don't have documentation we just have stories from elders telling us so I literally asked her I took on the project and I, I I videotaped her and I asked her like tell me like how was your childhood how was it like and there was things that I never knew about my mom like like she told me like she had like an older brother who died from SIDS and she told me that like at the age of 10 my grandpa got remarried and she would my mom would leave for like three or four months at, at the age of 10 to go with my 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 grandpa's in-laws and help them farm and then when when farming season was over in three or four months she would have to come back by herself like through the mountains you know, and I was like, like, were you scared? She's like, yeah, I was scared, but what am I supposed to do? And then she she told me about, like, the bombing, how she thought she lost my older sister when a bomb dropped next to her. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, she's like, yeah, I thought I lost your sister. And she's like, that's how we lost, like, our money. And then she was telling me how, like, when she was pregnant, her first husband. So in our culture, I don't know if you know, but in our culture, when you get married, you belong to that clan forever. Mm-hmm. So my mom was married to my uncle, her first husband, and then that she got passed on to my dad, mm-hmm. who's the next in line. So when my uncle, she was pregnant with my oldest sister, my second oldest sister, she was pregnant and my uncle got murdered. Wow. You know, so she had carried a baby by herself. And then I asked her and I said, you know, why could you never just leave? Why did you marry dad, like my father? And she's like, well, I stayed because if I if I was to leave, I would have to give up my kids. And wow. if I want to take my kids with me, I had to pay them. I didn't have money to pay to take my kids. You know, I just hear my mom's story and her struggle and how she just like ate rice. Like, I was just like, dude, if this woman... This woman has gone through all this, like, like at the age of five, losing her mom and going through all this stuff. Like what I go through, it's nothing incomparable to what she's gone through. Like I have nothing to complain about, you know, and really like she's like the force behind everything that I do. Like when things get hard, I'm just like, dude, like this is like, like this is just like brain, you know, brain work hard. You know, it's nothing like I'm in danger. I'm going to be broke. Like, I have no food to feed my kids. And I'm like, I need to get up and I need to push through this. Yeah. Because if, if someone fought so hard for me to get to this spot, why am I going to give up now? So that's that's just how I see and perceive things. Like, I like just hearing my mom's story, which I want to write it out. Yeah. I want to get details by this. Because sometimes very emotional. Like I feel like, damn! I feel like after I have babies, I cry everything. I don't know. <laughs> so like, I just get in piece by piece, and it's very emotional. It takes emotional toll on me. Mm. But I, but I think, but my main goal of really doing this is because I think it's a therapy session for my mom. Because right. I think there's things that she's never said, and I think she wants to say it, but she's never. So I hope and pray that this is a healing process for her because mm-hmm. I'm giving her that space to say what she wants to say and see how she feels. Because she was like, I don't want to say that about, you know, so-and-so because it's being recorded. And I said, no, I want you to say it because I 
I, I want to know, I, I need you to release that, you know? And so I hope that and pray that this is a really like a healing process for her. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't wait to share her story, right. but at the same time, I got to be emotionally prepared. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. This is so amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to send you or maybe connect you if you like to with someone who is actually a, She's a documentary uh, producer, filmmaker, and she's been mm. a lot in Myanmar in refugee camps. And she uses storytelling with these girls, especially as well, to help them go through their own stories, tell their own stories. And she's creating basically their own way of telling the stories so they can as you just said release it as a way of therapy for them and it's so beautiful and her work is just amazing so maybe if you like to just see you know what they're doing and maybe you can get some inspiration from that as well but I think what you're doing is so wonderful not only for yourself and for the story that definitely needs to be preserved but also for your mom being able to release all of that And I think the world needs to hear stories like those because I don't think many people are aware of what some of our people on this earth have been forced to live through lately, you know. And and then there's us and us in quote-unquote, basically us as a generation who starts to complain about the weather and the traffic in LA, in big cities, wherever. And the metro just left when I was sprinting down and the bus went waiting for me, like all of the types of things. And I'm like, as you just said, I'm not sure if we have much to complain about really. And I think... Yeah, and I think that's where like, and I think it's funny because hearing my mom's story and then hearing my own, like, I'm telling my own story. It's funny because after I write her book, I'm going to write a book for my, my view, you know, mm-hmm. of like, you know, so that way, like, it's like, it's like seeing that generation, you know? So yeah. even like with my son, I, I, he's very privileged in a lot of ways. So I remind my son of how fortunate he is because I would say, like, I would remind him of how, like, his grandma grew up. So, like, it's, like, I really have this heart-to-heart talk with him. And I think that's where, like, but I say I blame, not, I shouldn't say I blame. I think it's because I feel like we shelter kids a lot from Mm -hmm. the the hurt, the pain. And I don't don't mean, like, throw them into the street and let them fend for themselves. But I, and and I think that we don't allow a six-year-old to struggle a little bit. We don't allow a two-year-old to struggle a little bit. Like, we go and we go do it for them. Yeah. And for me, I I don't, like, I like with my kids, when they don't know something, I say, you figure it out, and I will come and, like, guide you. And I, it's, like, but it's consistency of, like, consistently doing it over and over. And my husband and I, we always say that to him, like, you spell it out, we'll figure, we'll help you guide you. You do this and we'll figure it out. We'll help you figure it out. But the thing is that we're making, we're, we're making them accountable for it. We're, we're making them do it. We're making them work a little bit harder than just hand it to them. And I think that's where, like, if society just 
lets a six-year-old, let a two-year-old, let a one-year-old struggle a little bit, I think things would be better. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And I totally agree. I think a lot of it has to do with also that people are just so scared of everything. Like, oh, what if my, what if my kid gets told this and this what if it's rejected whenever but what if we don't practice it and suddenly they're 18 and have to do it by themselves and they have no resiliency whatsoever they have no understanding of emotional intelligence they have no understanding of all of the soft skills they would never learn in school anyways so I think there is a a huge gap that we definitely need to fill in our society yeah so I'm happy that you at least start there already yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, like I said, like, I think, like, my six-year-old, he does laundry. Like, he oh, makes yeah. eggs himself. Like, he cooks the rice. Like, 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 I, like, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. Like, if we start looking at them, like, they're handicapped and you can't help them, they really are capable of a lot of things if you just allow them to do it. For sure. For sure. I do the same with, like, I mean... Again, I don't have kids, but I did work with kids a lot. And people would always criticize me of how much I let them do. And I would give three-year-old a knife. Not a, not a sharp one, obviously, but I would give them a knife and fork to eat. And they're like, oh, my God, what if they stick that in their eyes? I'm like, shit happens sometimes. Obviously, I'm going to jump right in if I see they're going to play sword fighting with the knife, obviously. But... Kids are not dumb. Kids are not just some stupid kind of human being that's not that's that's not filled in with all the information or whatever. And I think learning by doing has been the best way for me at least always to learn something. So if you get a knife in your hand, I don't have to tell you that how to use it. You can figure it out by yourselves. And maybe that's a that's not the best analogy, but I mean, obviously, a one-year-old, I wouldn't give a knife. But a three-year-old can definitely figure out how to use it, right? Obviously, not a Yeah, I mean, they can start to use how to use a butter knife. like. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, like, but that's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, we have this thing of, like, I, I think, honestly, I think being an entrepreneur has made me a better mom. Like, mm-hmm. straight up, not like, it has yeah. really made me be a better mom because I had a college degree. I worked, you know, I worked and everything. I think I would never be raising my kids the way I am if I was an entrepreneur. Mm, Yeah. Because being an entrepreneur has made me dive deeper into who my identity was. Mm. It made me dive deeper to my beliefs. It made me dive deeper to my subconscious. Like it made me do a lot of things that a college degree would never, like would have never done for me. And I was like, shoot if I just knew all this like I would never take it like 17 years like you know I I wish it was taught so for me being an entrepreneur and going through my own journey for the last like seven eight years now like I think that is the main reason why I am like of course my culture play a big part of like doing things differently but being an entrepreneur has really like I wouldn't have done meditation with my kids I wouldn't like send them to a school that focused on the seven highly effective habits I would have never done any of that 
like my like I there's a lot of things that I would never done if I wasn't an entrepreneur and I think being an entrepreneur has made me a better mom I love that that's amazing all right so we got to wrap up because I have another interview in just five minutes uh so I have two more questions but they are like speedy questions to answer the first one is what does efficiency mean to you For me, efficiency means like focus on the things that will, that will bring you happiness and fulfillment and will create impact in the world. So there's four questions that I always ask myself and they're really quick and I teach this to all my clients and this is what I use in my relationship, my husband and we use is these are the four questions we go through and they all have to be yes. It's one, will they reach me, help me reach my personal goals? Two, will they help me reach my business goal? Three, do I have time for it? And four, will it create create an impact in the world if those all have to be yeses for me to do anything and it's it, it has worked it helps streamline my all my business decision all my personal decision and it helps me look at it helps me create efficiency be more efficient in what I do that's amazing I love it and the last one is if you had to do everything all over again but you have the knowledge that you have now. So in hindsight, which are the three things that you would keep doing over and over again to get to success again? If I knew what I knew now, mm -hmm. I think one is keep like finding who your true identity is. Mm -hmm. Like own it. And I think it's self-worth for me is know how much you're worth because people will challenge your worth in so many ways. Like the day you're born, how much you worth. Like it's like your identity, your worth and the power of choices. Like I think we're like got, I think with society, we, we've been told that you have to make these decisions. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to, you have to do this in order to get this. But I think we don't utilize like the power of the choice of, of the power of our choices so if I had to do all over again I would say those were things like own your identity know your self-worth and use the power of choices amazing I love all of these three Cheng it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast thank you so much for taking the time and being here please tell everyone where they can find you and what they can find there so you can go to my website at you know, shangher.com or follow me on Instagram and, and the, at shangher. And then I talk about, I talk about my life, my life in general, but I talk about diversity, inclusivity, and really the power of like social media and just how to build a business and pushing you and motivating you to create the life that you love. Amazing. Everyone, I hope you got inspired today. Sheng is such a beautiful woman and I'm so, so grateful that we got connected and I will definitely keep chatting to her because I want to know some more about her amazing story. <laughs> so please go follow her along. You will find the links down below in the show notes. If you haven't yet, subscribe also to the podcast so you will not miss out on more amazing stories like Sheng's. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Sheng. It's been an absolutely pleasure. And well, guys, have a wonderful day and you know what to do. Until the next episode, I guess. <laughs>
You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember... Slow down to speed up.